Nightmerica is an independently produced podcast. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash nightmerica. And please tell your friends about us. Welcome to Nightmerica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation. Because, to paraphrase Ray Parker Jr., whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhoods. Episode 16, Hitching a Ride with Death. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Or, I guess we could go with Highway to Hell. Or Death as a Passenger. I don't know. Basically, we're talking about cars. I kind of like... I like Highway to Hell. Yeah, well, so does ACDC, but it seems like it's the oh, very on the nose. Anyhow, I'm Aaron Sagers, co-host of Nightmarica, as seen on Paranormal Caught on Camera, Paranormal Paparazzi, Paranormal Lockdown, and also founder of ParanormalPopCulture.com. And as always, joined by Brett. Brett. <laughs> hello nightmaricans and so yeah we're gonna be talking a little bit about cars and car culture i guess and um do you have any affinity towards vehicles or anything or are you a car kid uh no i am most definitely not a car kid um but i did love my first car I inherited it from my older sister who inherited it from our grandparents. They are still, but at the time they were competitive bridge players who were traveling around the country. So it had like over a hundred thousand miles on it. It was like a gold, ugly Toyota Camry where the Y had fallen off the logo on the back. So we just called it the camera. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. And one day coming home from work, it, uh, the antifreeze exploded and the car just started gushing out smoke. 
and I was terrified, but I still just drove the rest of the way home <laughs> and had to get a new car. And then I had my Toyota Yaris, which I also loved. And I didn't know that uh, rotating your tires is not a scam. Uh, I was always raised to believe that it was a scam uh, until I got into a really terrible okay, accident. Okay, so you were not raised my by tires car were people. Completely Sorry. No. You were no. not raised with any <laughs> kind of not. car knowledge. Okay, well, no. I, I wouldn't say that I'm a... I love cars, but I wouldn't say that I'm the most mechanically gifted person. I can, you know, I can do things on a vehicle and I was lucky to have never a sexy fancy car but I had some cars that were able to go fast and I do like going fast but I like car culture a lot I like the idea of road trips and and what and also that connection to sort of American culture in particular in the 1950s when suddenly it was pretty common for everybody to own cars and there was this, everybody was taking to the road. There was uh, Route 66 was sort of this romantic road and, and also a road with a lot of paranormal stories and occult stories connected to it. So the idea of, of traveling was, you know, it's just always been so wrapped up to this, wrapped up with mystery and things like that for me. So I like car culture. I like, I like that history of it. And yeah, I get that. And yeah, so, and when you think about it, you know, people put a lot of energy into their vehicles. Not everybody, but they take a lot of care in it. Clearly not you. Are you looking at me when you Clearly say that? Clearly not you. <laughs> but put a lot of ener their personal energy into it. You know, they, it's also something that they drive every day to go to school, go to work. There's some people that have real emotional moments in vehicles, you know, like arguments or passionate first moments, kiss. first kiss. So cars are just like almost like an extension of us. They are very much a part of for sure. part of us, part of personality. Oh, I still love like my very first boyfriend. He had a Mitsubishi Eclipse and I just thought it was like the coolest looking car ever. And I still feel sentimental when I see them. Although I don't think it was the coolest car ever. I don't want to burst your bubble. Oh, it most that. definitely wasn't. But, so yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about some stories involving cars. There's a lot of them. This is like another topic where there's just so much to cover, but we're going to just tell two stories and then we can circle back at a another time. So I'm excited about this. And, and I think we're both doing ghost stories, sort of. I am not doing a ghost story. Oh, okay. Well, I was wrong. I, I did not plan <laughs> properly. Well, okay. Well, before we get into it, let's get some news items out there. What's happening in the world of the weird, as far as news topics on your end? So... Well, weird news. Who had meth gators on their 2020 bingo sheet is the question. I saw that come across as a meme on Instagram and I was like, this is stupid. Like just another meme, whatever. And then I started researching it and it turns out while executing a search warrant in Laredo, Tennessee, believe it or not, not Florida, because when you say meth gators, you instantly think I am of Florida. Shocked. It was actually yeah. Tennessee. <laughs> um, the tenant that they were searching was caught flushing his meth down the toilet and the police that witnessed this went on their Facebook page and posted and I quote 
folks, please don't flush your drugs, okay? That's literally what they posted um, because I guess in this area, the water is cleaned and treated and then released into this creek where waterfowl and, you know, whatever else lives in a creek and gators live. Um, but if you flush meth, they aren't set up to treat for meth. And so the meth just goes straight into the water and then the gators start getting twitchy and picking at their skin and hearing voices and getting all tweaked out. So don't flush your meth, friends. It's good. Don't do meth, but also don't flush It's an it. important PSA from Nightmarica to all you yeah. kids out there. Don't <laughs> flush your meth. And think of the gators. Won't someone please think of the gators? You got to. We do not want methy gators. Yeah. We already had murder yeah. hornets. Yeah, that's that's not good for the gator community. Well, <laughs> I went in a different direction uh, as far as news go. So, you know, we there's a lot of talk about Confederate statues that are mm. around the country, especially down south. Now, a lot of these these monuments to confederate figures like robert e lee or, and such those were not put up right after the civil war they were oftentimes put up much later and and well into the 20th century as essentially intimidation tactics against black citizens sort of you know we're we're still in power kind of message so it's part of black intimidation so I think rightly so. There's a lot of movement to have these removed, have these pulled down. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it a lot. But what are we going to replace them with? Well, so glad you asked. Well, you didn't ask that. I asked that. Well, what about monuments to cryptozoology and perhaps even more specifically, Mothman? So there's there's, yes. There, yes. Yes. Right. This already. This is already sounding good. Like it's. It's definitely a pushback against racism. Well, there is a teacher in West Virginia who has sort of these inspirational posters on his walls. He always had them. Not just. Not just recently of Sasquatch and things like the Flatwoods Monster and Mothman. And you know his whole idea is that he wants to talk about these figures that he thinks are part of the past and history of West Virginia and can be a way of honoring that that past. And he said that, you know, this is, I mean, indeed, this is a character that is part of Point Pleasant, in, in particular, West Virginia, where locals mm -hmm. did spot the Mothman immediately prior to the 1967 Silver Bridge collapse, which killed 46 people, which is worthy of some sort of memorial testament well this this is a movement that's actually gaining traction it it started so this this gentleman jay sisson is the 30 year old teacher who was talking about it but there's another person who goes by at huma brenipede on twitter was the one that started a petition to replace every confederate statue with mothman and then it was picked up by another account uh, I believe Rage of Devils, who designed this logo for, uh, it has Mothman overlooking a toppled, uh, no, overlooking a human, and the message is good night, alt right, 
and it's West. It says West Virginia's legendary Mothman is America's first urban legend to take an official position against racism. And and there's you know tear down the Stonewall Jackson statue in Point Pleasant, replace it with Mothman. So this thing is picking up some traction, and I don't know if it's gonna go anywhere. But this argument that the confederate statues are celebrating history well they're not they're they were they're created specifically to intimidate black americans so instead of if we want to remember the past let's remember it you know honor things that that were either part of a tragedy but but part of a moment in history and also is not racist and not a symbol of white supremacy or not a symbol of slavery and also the mothman is just freaking Mm -hmm. awesome so so awesome so this is there a petition that i can sign yes uh there is so you you can find this this article was published through mel magazine so you can go find the link to the petition there but i'm pro mothman pro mothman statue there is already a mothman statue in point Mm -hmm. pleasant it's worth noting i think it's it's very tall it's like 12 foot tall uh, statue so you know we just need more so that one was totally. put up in 2003. So let's uh, let's get more Mothman statues out there. Let's just replace all of them. Like, why don't we have one for Sasquatch? Well, I think a Jersey Devil would be especially noteworthy in in the Pine yeah. Barrens. And yeah, Sasquatch. There's, I think. Well, there are some statues of Sasquatch out there, but not in a town square. And that's what I want. That's what I want. You know, what's so funny is I was at, we're recording this after Father's Day. On Father's Day, I was at a gathering with just both my grandparents and my parents. And my maternal grandmother had never heard of Sasquatch. Can you believe had that? Had she heard of Bigfoot? No. She had not heard of, uh, what about the uh, Yeti, Abominable Snowman, the Skunk Nope, egg. nothing. My paternal grandpa, who, if I didn't have such a foul mouth on this podcast or talk about inappropriate things, he would totally listen. He's into all this weird stuff. He was equally as flabbergasted. And he was talking about the Muddy River monster. And she had heard of that. Okay. But yeah, I was just. Had heard of a regional version of Sasquatch. Yes. Well, yes. But I just. Crazy. Let's educate the world. You know, we should know about Sasquatch. More, you know, than maybe some of these terrible people. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think so. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. Erase them from history and elevate Sasquatch. So, yeah. Uh, and you know what? We're all about people learning things on this podcast. And, you and, learn and you grow. And you're passing along to your, to your grandmother tales of Sasquatch and Bigfoot. And I'm, yep. I'm all about it. Well. Before we dive into the topic, let's hear from our first sponsor. Seems like a good idea. Is Brooklyn one of the most haunted places in America? It's a worthwhile question. And this podcast happens to be brought to you in part by Brooklyn's one and only mobile ghost tour, Madam Morbid Trolley Tours, which is the official haunted tour of Nightmarica. So... You, you, we've talked about this before, Madame Morbid, it's a Victorian-era funeral-inspired trolley, which just sounds like a great way to cruise around town, don't you think? 
the only way I want to cruise around town. The only way. The, see, you're making a bold claim. You're just staking, <laughs> planting a flag in only if it's not know it. if it's not Victorian era funeral inspired trolley. It's it's why bother? It's crap according to Brit. Well, then that's that's why you should go on a Madame Morbid trolley tour. First chance you get because it is the only way to cruise around Brooklyn and learn about Brooklyn's haunted history and true crime. So they are currently off the road. They are social distancing. They're chasing ghosts, but they also have gift cards available for when they reopen, which hopefully is soon as, as, as we're recording this. Hopefully we're getting close to them being able to reopen. So be sure to check out MadamMorbid.com. Or give them a follow at Madam Morbid NYC to support your local ghost tour and our official haunted tour. And by the way, their answer is yes. Brooklyn is haunted. Nightmarica is excited to announce we have a new sponsor, Manscaped. And to talk about the men's grooming kits, we have a really big fan of Manscaped. But not a man, a Sasquatch. From the Florida Everglades, let's welcome Skunk Ape to the show. Thanks for joining, Mr. Ape. Oh, Skunk is fine, just fine. That's uh, that's what my friends call me. Even though you're an elusive cryptid, you're able to have a social life? Oh, sure, sure. Wood booger, yeah, we mow, mow, wendigo, mow, galon. We all, we all hang out. Well, that's great. With all those friends, it's probably important to look your best. We take a lot of pride in how we look uh, in the Sasquatch community, especially a uh, since, uh, as you can imagine, there ain't a whole heck of a lot of us out there, so it gets pretty darn competitive getting attention from the lady squatches. So the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped has a durable, skin-safe ceramic blade when you groom your, uh, squatchy regions. Don't you know it? That Lawnmower 3.0 holds an edge, so I'm less likely to nick my nugs. It's happened before, and it ain't pretty. There's blood everywhere. Everyone down in the glades heard me howl out that one time. Whoop whoop! That's what that's what it sounded like when I nicked my nugs, but not with this lawnmower 3.0. Dude, that's intense. I have certainly been there. It is no fun at all. Skunky, I imagine grooming down there probably takes a lot of time because you're a pretty big guy. Well, you know what they say about big feet. Big shoes? Big balls! Yep, right sizable sasquasticles. Big old ones. But with them lithium-ion batteries I can charge that puppy up on the USB dock, I can use it for 90 minutes. It's even waterproof, so I can fire it up in the glades and take a good long time getting my squashticles right where they needs to be. Well, with that waterproof technology, that's got to be helpful in the glades. Or even for a human like me who uses the shower. Is the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 getting you noticed down there? Only in the right ways. All the lady squatches or, or men, no no judgment, they take notice. But I can still stay hidden because with that quiet stroke technology, it does not make a lot of noise and attract unwanted look-a-loos. And that's a very important part of the squatch code. You gotta stay undercover, you know. I can even groom up my squashticles in the middle of the night because it's got an LED light on it so you can see where your Patterson and Gimlin are. It's a memorable pair. And speaking of memorable pairs, you also like the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Well, you might have heard I have a bit of an odor issue, hence the nickname Skunky. And with the Florida humidity, uh, I can smell pretty darn ripe down there. So I use that Manscaped Ball Deodorant to 
to make the squashicle smell fresh as a daisy and the ball toner to freshen up when skunk turns to funk. Maybe we should start calling you flowers instead of skunky. Well, skunky, if you or your squash buddies or any listeners out there want to groom safely and who doesn't, Head over to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA for 20% off plus free shipping off your order. For one more time, that's... Squatchscaped. No, no it's not. It's Manscaped. Manscaped. The right tools for the job. So let's dive into our topic, shall we? Hit the road, as it were, with this topic. Britt, why don't you begin laying on me? What's what's your tale of tragedy, terror on the highway? Yeah, so I found this story online just as like a one blip line in some like true crime thing I was reading about the missing girls of Carlton, Texas, which I had never heard of. Um, most of my article or most of my information I got from a Medium article by Nicole Henley, as well as the Doe Network, who is doing incredible work. Um, and then the book, This Night Wounds Time by Sean Sutherland. Uh, but just to get started, on March 19th, 1988 was the last night Stacy Elizabeth Madison and Susan Renee Smalley were ever seen alive just west of Dallas, Texas. Stacy was 17 years old, working two jobs in high school while maintaining good grades. Um, and was on the path to be a business major at the University of North Texas. So get it, girl. Um, And then Susan was 18. She was a waitress at a restaurant called Steak and Ale. Um, Really want to eat there. Excellent sounding name. I've uh, been there. It's a a chain. Shut up. Yeah, serious. Well, it used to be. I don't know if it still is, but it was a very fancy... It was a very fancy chain in my young mind, Ooh. so it was a big deal when when we would go there. But what was your favorite thing I, to eat? I don't even recall. I seem to think they had a really good salad bar. Mm. I'm all about salad bars, mm-hmm. although now in our post COVID world, I'm really not about salad bars. But not post COVID <laughs> world, but so true. current COVID world. But but I, I digress. Steak and nail, sure. Yeah, they're getting an unofficial. I don't even know if they're in business, but we'll give them some free advertising. <laughs> Absolutely. So Susan, yeah, she was working there as a waitress in high school while also maintaining excellent grades. And I think I read that she was also on the honor roll. So these are two like powerful high school girls. Um, Susan didn't have any specific college plans, but she was saving up to buy a car and moving to Florida after high school. Uh, and she was just really mature for her age. Like if you look at pictures, I'll post pictures on our Instagram. She was one of your friends in high school that looked like you would have teased her for being the group mom, but everyone loved her. Like she just was a really incredible friend. I honestly could not read one bad thing about these two girls. So Stacy, on the other hand, already had a car that was her pride and joy It was a 1967 Ford Mustang that she had painted in their high school colors of green and gold. Baller. Yeah, I mean, the the car sounds awesome. I don't know if I'm all about the green and gold, but... I mean, I didn't care for high school, so, like, I would not have painted my car those colors. But, like, she's got pride for her school. It's cute. Um... She had saved up her money from her two jobs to buy it for herself. 
and just really took care of it unlike me in high school and just like she loved going out with Susan and like driving around town my best friend in high school and I Inga we would like drive around town all the time uh, we would listen to the white stripes like super loud and just think we were so cool. So I can so put myself in the headspace of these two girls. Um, so on March 19th, this was no exception for them. Susan was staying over at Stacy's and they decided to drive around uh, to a neighboring town of Arlington to go to a friend's party. It was their spring break. They were going to have some fun. After that, they went to Steak and Ale, which is where Susan was working. Um, they were seen there at 11.30 p.m. talking to one of their co- one of Susan's co-workers, and they left only about five minutes later. Um, it's estimated that they went to Susan's mother's home after this, but Susan's mom was actually out for the night, so this isn't exactly confirmed. They weren't spotted there. But a phone call had come from the house at this time to one of their friends. And it's around the time where they would have arrived from Steak and Ale. So it's assumed they came back, called someone who was at the party, and then went back out to the party they had been in earlier in the night. Um, like they had gone home and to grab something maybe. So first thing the next morning, Stacy's mom notices that they didn't come home. And I can't even fathom the terror of this woman waking up, going to her daughter's bedroom and nobody's there. The beds were not touched. No one had slept in them. Um, so immediately she calls the police, reports them missing and the hunt begins uh, two days later, uh, her Stacy's beloved car was found locked with their jacket still inside at a strip mall in Dallas. So at first they find this car and think because it you know was locked up, it was taken care of. They assumed the girls were runaways that they had like you know gotten with someone and took off. So they never dusted the car for fingerprints. And it was given back to Stacy's family, which, yeah, I see Aaron rolling his eyes through the screen. It's like, that's so frustrating. How can you just, how can you not dust for fingerprints for two missing girls? Yeah, just so many, so many cases, it seems like, are just, are just kind of railroaded because mm -hmm. they just due diligence was not done during an investigation. It's just disappointing. Yeah. But go on. Yeah, and like Stacy's parents, the, they said to the cops, these girls did not run away. Like Stacy had huge dreams, big college plans. Susan was a hard worker. I mean, I truly don't think they should really discredit anything for a runaway if they have something that they can dust for fingerprints. But anyway, what's so sad is that the car was given back to Stacy's family and her father, who is so beside himself for his missing daughter, continued to drive it hoping that the car, because it was so iconic, could almost be a billboard for the people in the town to remember something um, and maybe have someone report something. So even though the police did think they were possibly runaways, they did have one suspect, and that is Kevin Elrod. He was Stacy's boyfriend at the time, uh, but she was trying to leave him because he was allegedly abusive to her. Stacy's mom called him possessive in interviews and all of their friends said he was super controlling, would tell her how to spend her time. Um, so he was just a bad dude. 
almost immediately after these girls go missing, this asshole starts dating some other chick and then tells her that he killed the girls and buried them in a cemetery uh, underneath like someone else's grave. So of course the cops go and search cemeteries. Anything that, you know, within this kind of time frame makes sense and dig things up, but nothing's found. Um, so that's really devastating. He is given a polygraph by the police and passes. Like, what the fuck ever, you know? If he just remained calm, he can pass the polygraph. So again, I think he's discredited way too quickly. Um, he moves to Florida and changes his name. But the geniuses at Web Sleuths, I love reading through Web Sleuths, they found his changed name and he, they found that he was charged with child abuse allegations um, a few years later. So, you know, this is a bad dude. You know, child abuse and murder, just because you do one, I don't think you necessarily do the other. But just to say this was a bad dude and the police discredited him super quickly. Uh, on a paranormal level, the families contacted a psychic named John Ketchings. He was the one interviewed who said the girls were kidnapped by a blonde white male between 28 and 34 years old, dumped in Grapevine Lake, which is a huge reservoir like northwest of Dallas, which is kind of the area that they were last seen. Um, they did a search of this giant reservoir, uh, but nothing came up. There are a ton of lakes surrounding Dallas though. So perhaps it was some other body of water. Uh, but the psychic is actually super interesting. And I got the idea for another story kind of digging into his credibility. So I'm hoping in the future I can do a little bit more about him. So, you know, they're discrediting all of this different stuff. And eventually, you know, the case kind of go, goes cold. A uh, man who went to high school with them, uh, who I spoke about earlier, he wrote the book Night Wounds Time, hoping it would kind of regenerate interest. Because uh, there's a lot of conflicting information out there. I kind of went with whatever I could verify with a few different sources. But one line in the police file said they, said they went for dinner at Chili's. But... A lot of people on the web sleuths are like, this isn't possible because of, you know, at the time they would have gone, the chilies in that area wasn't open or, you know, they kind of looked into local facts and it was only this one line, which is interesting. Um, and what came to my mind is that maybe this line came from a friend or came from the mothers and the girls lied and said they were going to Chili's for dinner but we're actually going to meet someone or do something else. That could be a possibility. Um, and another interview the police had was from a clerk at a local 7-Eleven who said they had come in to buy alcohol before they went to steak and ale, but they were declined because of their age. Again, personally, like these are super intelligent, hardworking girls. I don't know if I necessarily believe that they were going to try to buy alcohol under age, but you know, I mean, that's not really scandalous. That's what kids do. So that wouldn't really shock to me. me. It, I didn't drink high, in high school. 
I didn't really drink in high school, but it's not really scandalous for kids to buy. What is odd is that you would pregame before going to steak and ale. <laughs> that 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 doesn't really mesh with me. But I don't know. Maybe it was just a, you know it was a big event going to the steak and ale. It could have been. Sorry, or Chili's. On. Going to Chili's is a big or, event. Get you some Southwest spring rolls. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to besmirch the reputation of Chili's, but I would not put Chili's and and classic steak and ale on the same level. No. Steak and ale was meant to be fine dining for families. Um, and Like where really you would go if you got like money. a good grade? You would, like that, you could get a good well, report card kind of thing? Well, it would also be a good date spot. It's mm. like, it was like a steakhouse kind of thing, but it was... If I recall, it was somewhat intimate as far as instead of like a Texas style steakhouse, it was sort of supposed to be a classy steakhouse. But so steak and ale, Chili's, <laughs> you are no steak and ale. But back to the horrible missing, the disappearance, the disappearance of, these of these two, two girls. Women. Yeah. So locals say that the area where their car was found is where like the cool spot to park would be. You know how like all towns have those cool spots to park. Sometimes they would do drag races. So I think it's possible that they maybe met someone who they kind of knew, but maybe didn't know. Cause like how could one dude on their own get two women into a car unless they kind of knew them already? Um, the chief that is in place there in Carlton, Texas, agrees that who how it was handled at the time is not proper, um, and neither of their families think they run away. So it's still you know a somewhat being investigated case, but they're looking for any tips. They do have a photo that has recently come out of two men, and in the foreground, it looks like it is Stacy's hair in the picture. But they don't know who these two men are. They're not local. They're not in high school yearbooks. So I will post this on our Instagram and I will post the link on our Patreon. If you know of someone in this area who can maybe identify these guys, it was not that long ago, 1988. Um, Maybe they know someone. They don't think these guys are the suspects, but they think they maybe were around that night and would know. Um, You can contact the Carlton Police Department. Um, I'll put their information on our Patreon account. But hopefully, you know, maybe we could help get this case solved because these two women are missing and it's just really devastating for their families. So the guy that was the Mm ex-boyfriend of Stacy, right, he's, okay, so he's, would you say he's exonerated of their death? He said that he killed them, buried them in a graveyard. But he passed the polygraph test mm-hmm. and then he, you know, skipped town. But but he wasn't ever charged with anything and they never really pursued him as a main suspect. Correct. I think he possibly was involved. I don't, I honestly don't know. Like maybe he was there and him and a buddy had the women go in their car. But personally, if I was trying to dump my abusive boyfriend, I don't know if I would have gotten in a car with him. That night, I don't, I don't know. He's a bad dude, but I've dated a bad dude and I don't know if he would have killed me. You know, I think being a bad dude and being a killer could be two different things. Sure. Yeah. They're not, not, not all bad dudes are killers, Mm -hmm. even though all killers are are bad dudes dudes. or bad women. If you're Eileen Wernos. Correct. So 
Yeah, it is interesting that when someone, again, sort of like I was saying at the top of the show, people invest a lot of their time, energy, passion into cars. She she bought this car. She worked hard for mm-hmm. it, clearly loved it, painted her school colors. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of energy and love connected mm-hmm. to it. So it seems somewhat odd that she would just willingly yep. leave it in a parking lot of some random like what was it where she left it just like a strip mall yeah yeah she loved this car i don't think she would have if they were going to run away i think they would have taken her car i think they had to think they were coming back to get it their jackets were still inside she this car was her pride and joy i think you know they had to just meet someone who maybe wasn't quite trustworthy enough or see my mind goes to what because again you if you're really, I don't, I don't presume to be in, in the mindset of this young woman, but <laughs> if you're all about this car, you wouldn't just leave it in a strip mall. Mm-hmm. You would park it at someone else's house, someone you trusted, somewhere where you knew that it was going to be safe. So my mind then goes to that someone else was in that car, was driving that car at some point oh. and parked it somewhere and, and left it. So. And I tend to think that if this is foul play, it would have involved more than one person. So you could have even had one person that ended up being driving it to that strip Mm -hmm. mall, leaving it behind and the other person up to, you know, whatever nefarious deeds Mm -hmm. they were up to. So, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me that you would just leave your car in that strip mall. I, I that that doesn't doesn't jive with me. So. That's I don't know. That point. is indeed odd and sad. And yes, it's a 30-year-old case, but there's still got to be someone out there that still knows something. Yeah. That's the that's the thing that I find scary and creepy about some of these stories is that when it's really old, it's still unsettling that maybe someone mm-hmm. escaped un- and and were able to continue on there with their life after doing something horrible. Totally. That's scary. But it's especially more chilling that there is someone likely still out there that knows what had mm-hmm. happened and who knows, they may have just also continued on with their life, mm-hmm. but, and, and continued on their ways to do it again. So yeah. whatever happened, it is a mystery, but it's a sad mystery. It's a super sad mystery. So let's solve it. Nightmaricans. We can do it. Yes. And while we are solving it, let's hear word from our other sponsor before we go into the next story. Think things are bad now? Well, it could be worse. Don't believe me? Just read Dead Run, the new sci-fi thriller from author Mike Maddox. A mysterious force is taking control of people's bodies and making them run to stay alive. And if you can't keep running now this is the ad copy so i'm reading the ad copy because it says if you can't keep running you blow up like spaghetti left in the microwave too long it's not a good scene Mm -mm. it's a very messy situation it's gotta have marinara sauce because then it kind of looks like blood right and this the pasta itself would be sort of look like viscera and except in a microwave but at least in a microwave you're contained the, the explosion is contained. Yeah. It's a messy microwave to clean up. But if you're running down the road and you can't keep 
can't splat. run anymore. Just splat. You're just, and then you're all over your friends and the other <laughs> Ew. apocalyptic pals Ew, who do are not nearby. Splat on me. And in an apocalypse, you don't have easy access to soap, water. I don't even know if you can stop running long enough to sh like shampoo and and bathe after Ew. your friend, your your pal, is just blown up on you. Anyhow. I mean, this is really, I think, selling the book. Anyhow, the story follows a group of weary travelers as they make their way through a hellish landscape where there's only one rule. Run or die. This is Dead Run, and other than being chilling and scary, it will also perhaps inspire you to eat the right kind of carbs and jog every day just in case this apocalypse hits. So check it out. It's available exclusively on Amazon Kindle. It's only like three bucks. It's well worth your three bucks. And that, uh, and you know what? Who knows? The 2020 has been really weird. So who knows? This could be the next thing. It could yep. be a running apocalypse. Stay so fit so you don't get eaten by meth gators. Stay fit to avoid meth gators and, and, and read Dead Run by Mike Maddox on Amazon Kindle. So I'm I'm gonna dive into my story. You had a true crime story. Mm -hmm. Mine is is paranormal in nature and and it's famous, but also not one that it, it's famous for the people that know about it because it kind of drives you insane. Because much like the road that we are about to travel on, it is twisty and turny. Yes. There's a lot of bends. Oh good. This. I'll get comfy in my chair. Yes. So let us begin with the 1955 Porsche 550 Spider. Now, I know, Britt, you're not the biggest <laughs> car person, yep. but this is a gorgeous looking little car, very fast, relatively light, and it was nicknamed Little Bastard. <laughs> so it was nicknamed that, and it was owned by James Dean. Oh, the actor. hot. And it was it was the car that James Dean was driving on September 30th, 1955 when he was killed at the young age of 24. That's so sad. Now without without going too too deep with James Dean's bio, do you you said hot, so you have Oh yeah. an impression of James Dean. James so Dean. handsome. I do, I'm actually really excited, though, because I don't know the story of how he died. I just picture him well, in that white T-shirt and a leather jacket just looking fly. Except it was a red jacket. It was a red windbreaker. Whoops. Red windbreaker? Yeah, no. Gross. Who is he? Tom Petty? Yeah. It's it, it, Well, it's iconic. It's one of the most iconic uh, jackets, Who I would say, I out there. And one of the most iconic photos. Well, I think it's natural to to think of that as a leather jacket. It's our brain just kind of... It's like a Mandela and, and, effect situation? I don't think Mandela effect. I think it's that you already assign some sexiness to him, and then the leather jacket makes it perhaps more so than the red windbreaker. Anyhow, <laughs> so he was... He was a cultural... We now know him as a cultural icon, and he became famous for his portrayals of angsty youths. Mm. He did a lot of TV episodes. He did a lot of stage work, but he only did three films. And only East of Eden, which is a, a 
great movie based on the Steinbeck novel. Only East of Eden was released when he was still alive. His two other movies were released posthumously. Wow. Yeah. And he was he was nominated posthumously for his his role in East of Eden because it was released and then shortly thereafter he died. He was actually yeah the first person to be nominated for an Academy Award posthumously. Rebel Without a Cause and Giant were his two other movies released after he had died. So James Dean was into auto racing and he was actually pretty good at it. He came in second, I believe, in a couple races, but first in his class, like a second overall, but mm-hmm. then first in his class. And, and he, ra- he racked up some, some wins. He actually began competing just before Rebel Without a Cause started filming in 1955, March 1955. He actually had to stop racing while filming the movie Giant because the studio knew that he was into auto racing, like it was it was well known, and the studio, Warner Brothers, forbade it. So when he could get back into it, after Giant wrapped, he did. And he bought Little Bastard. And he bought this for the Salinas Road Race. Now to break in this car, he decided to drive the 300-mile drive on September 30th, the day before the racing event was to begin. He started driving the car on this 300 miles. He was joined in the car by, this is a German name, Rolf Werderich. 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 We'll just call him Rolf. So Rolf was a German mechanic from the Porsche factory who took care of the car, who worked with James Dean and took care of that car. Separately, he was followed in a station wagon by stunt coordinator Bill Hickman. Bill Hickman has an actual interesting history Mm. himself. And a photographer called Sanford Roth, also known as Sandy. And this was a magazine photographer. So Dean, James Dean, did like to drive fast. Obviously, he he was into racing. Mm -hmm. So the day that he sets out, he received multiple warnings about his reckless driving speed. Hickman, they stopped at a stopped at a diner. Hickman warned him. I believe the record that I have is that he drank a cold glass of milk. I don't know what he ate, but. So when they pulled over at a diner, Hickman warned warned him about his speed. Dude, you got to slow down. At 3.30 that afternoon, a California Highway Patrolman stopped Dean and wrote him a ticket. This was south of Bakersfield for driving 65 miles an hour in a 55 zone. Hickman behind him also got a ticket for driving 20 miles over the limit because he was following Mm -hmm. Dean. They were trying to keep up, but he was also towing a trailer. So later that day, they stop at a gas station. They run into a couple other fellow racing friends of Dean's. And again, they warned him about speeding because they had also gotten tickets that day. So slow down, the cops are out. At this point, Hickman and, and Roth Sandy Roth were trailing behind like Dean had gone ahead because he wanted to really 
see what his car could do, go fast, without worrying about the station wagon behind him. Eventually, they they do catch up with him. And on another stop, when Hickman catches back up with Dean, he warns him again. And he actually says, it was actually difficult to make out your vehicle. It was a silver vehicle. It it almost blended in with the highway. Mm. So another warning. So around 5.30 p.m., Dean is driving upwards of 85 miles an hour. Now, there was a California Highway Patrolman who later on said that he was on the scene, and he said that Dean was probably only driving 55, but it has been documented that he was driving 85 miles or faster. Anyhow, a Ford Tudor, which is a, a classic car, very big, chunky car, heavy car. Again, remember, Dean's car was very fast, but very mm-hmm. light. This Ford Tudor was making a left across Route 41. And as he was crossing the center line, Dean tried to avoid this Ford. But instead, the two cars met mm-hmm. head on. The Ford did try to stop, but he had slid. He had slid forward. So they collide in this westbound lane and at this point the spider little bastard basically goes airborne it's flying through the air neither neither rolf nor james dean were wearing seat belts which is not really that surprising yeah in 1955 that's not really surprising they hadn't really caught on yet it wasn't widespread but they did have them neither was wearing a seat belt rolf was ejected from the convertible again this is now midair he eventually he he when he landed he broke his jawbone and his thigh bone was shattered. Dean unfortunately did not fare as well and instead he was trapped in this car and when the spider hit the ground and rolled it was like being crushed in a tin can and it buried him in this twisted metal this and he sustained massive head injuries. Apparently, he died on his way, on the way to a hospital, but I would not be surprised if he was already just destroyed at, but even before then. So at age 24, James Dean died in 1955, September 30th, 1955, before his two other movies come out. Now, that's sad on its face, but let's flash back. Two weeks prior to James Dean, actually even flashback a little further, a couple weeks before then, James Dean filmed a PSA for the National Safety Council. This was, he was filming on the set of Giant, and it was an anti-speeding PSA. And on this PSA, he's talking about how he doesn't like to speed and he only wants to speed on the racing track because drivers out there are crazy. So be careful because, quote, remember, drive safely. The life you might save might be mine. <gasps> oh, this was filmed so a couple weeks prior. And, and that line was actually ad-libbed. The National Safety Council's tagline was the life you might save might be yours, I believe. So he ad-libbed mm-hmm. it to say might be mine. So creepy, 
You can watch this PSA on YouTube. Okay. Now, that was a couple weeks prior to his death. Now let's go a week prior to his death. September 23rd, 1955. Sir Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness, most famous for uh, amongst my generation for being Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star ah. Wars. But he was a established actor in 1955, and he had arrived in Los Angeles. It was his first night in Los Angeles. And he had an encounter with James Dean. And according to this interview, which, again, you can read, you can, he's talked about, he had talked about this many times. He, he had passed away. But he had told the story multiple times, and you can even see some video of him telling the story. He encounters James Dean at a restaurant. Funny story. Apparently, Alec Guinness wanted to get into this restaurant. The woman that was accompanying him was wearing trousers, and they wouldn't allow her in because she was wearing trousers. Oh, 1955, barf. different time. Anyhow, so they leave the restaurant. Someone chases behind Alec Guinness, and it's James Dean. And James Dean is saying, you couldn't get in the restaurant, but hey, let me get you in. Now, James Dean was not a star at this point, but he said, just come dine with me. And as they're, and Alec Guinness agrees, as they're walking back to the restaurant, James Dean very excitedly shows him Spider, or shows him Little Bastard, the spider. And this is brand new. This is the day that he bought this mm. car, September 23rd, 1955. And very excited about it. And this car was still essentially wrapped up. This was like, still had sort of the presentation from buying it from the lot. Alec Guinness said he got a sinister feeling about uh -huh. this vehicle. And he said, and these are his quotes now, quote, I said, have you driven it? And he said, no, I have not been in it at all. Guinness said, quote, and some strange thing came over me, some almost different voice. And I said, look, I won't join your table unless you want me to. Very polite. But I must say something. Please do not get into that car because if you do, and I looked at my watch and I said, if you get into that car at all, it's now Thursday, 10 o'clock at night. And by 10 o'clock at night next Thursday, you'll be dead if you get in that car. Oh, I just got goosebumps all over. And Dean brushed the warning off and they proceeded to have what Guinness called a charming dinner. And he was dead the following Thursday afternoon in that car. Oh. And Alec Guinness, in one of these interviews, there's one interview in 1977, said, quote, it was one of those things. It was a very odd, spooky experience. And then he said, yeah, I liked him very much. I wish I would have loved to have known him more. So wow. that, so, so Obi-Wan Kenobi foretelled the death of James Dean. But we're not done. Like, the story keeps, it has more weirdness behind it. Okay. Oh, my God. Before you continue, can I ask, did Obi-Wan have, whatever, Alec Guinness, did he have any other, like, premonitions of other people? Not that I've, not that I've found. He said, okay. uh, I, I read one quote where he said that was the only time anything like that had happened wow. to him. So I, and, and he wasn't known as someone that would be, just randomly saying these yeah, kinds yeah. of things. Not like my mother. Is your mother also a Jedi? 
You know, some might say she is, but she just like knows things. You know, you have people in your life that just like get these overwhelming feelings. Anyway. Well, Alec Guinness got one of those feelings. And so, okay, that that's the days leading up to James Dean's death. Then James Dean dies. So what happens to the car? So there's a car- there's a man named George Barris. And Hollywood fans out there, Hollywood history fans would know him. He was he customized cars for movies he he made the he customized the batmobile from the 1966 batman series he also did uh, i believe he did one of the monster mobiles and beverly hillbillies cars and so anyhow george bears he he originally customized little bastard the, the 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 spider 550 after Dean's death, he bought the wrecked carcass of Little Bastard for something like $2,500. And he bought it eh, possibly with the intent of selling tickets and touring it around or maybe to renovate it. There's differing accounts on that. He also stripped a lot of the what was still left of this car. And if you see the footage of, of, of this wrecked vehicle, you can't even imagine that there was anything salvageable on it. It, it looks like a crushed tin can. But he did he did salvage some things and sold those things off. Well, soon after buying this vehicle, it slipped off its trailer and broke a mechanic's leg. Okay, that's unfortunate. Not long after that, Barris sold the engine and drivetrain of Little Bastard to Troy McHenry and William Eshrid. They were auto racers. Then while they were both racing against one another in cars that had parts from the little bastard, Troy McHenry, he lost control of his vehicle and he hit a tree and died instantly. Eshrid was seriously injured in his own car because, according to him, it unexplainably locked up and rolled over while he was going into a turn. So this is building the story of the curse of James Dean's car, oh the God. curse of Little Bastard. Barris, George Barris, also had two tires from Little Bastard. Somehow these were untouched in the accident. Again, I don't know how these would have uh, remained huh. intact. Ghosts. He sold them, maybe ghosts, maybe ghost riders, maybe ghost cars, ghost tires. He sold those off, sold the tires off. Not long after, both blew out simultaneously cause both blew out simultaneously causing the new owner's car to go off the road so barris back to barris he also had the since he had the carcass of this car he kept it locked up it would it, it attracted the attention of people including thieves one thief broke in and tried to steal the car and his arm was ripped open while he was trying to steal the steering wheel off. And the other was injured trying to remove a blood-stained seat. This was a tartan state, a tartan seat that Barris had customized for James Dean. Tried to remove that and the other was injured trying to re- remove that. Okay. Night 1959. The garage, so at one point Barris essentially loaned this carcass of James Dean's car 
to the California Highway Patrol. And the idea was that the hulk of this car would be transported around to local high schools to teach teenagers the importance of safe driving, sort of a scared mm-hmm. straight thing. Mm-hmm. So a garage that was in Fresno that was holding the carcass of the car apparently mysteriously caught on fire and burned down, but the car was undamaged, was further undamaged. What? How? Then, it's, it's the mystery. And then on the way to Salinas, again, this is where the race was supposed to be held, where James Dean died, where he was on his way. On the way to Salinas, the truck transporting the carcass of this vehicle, the truck was involved in a serious accident and the truck driver was thrown from the car. And then the Porsche, the little bastard, rolled off of the truck bed and crushed him to death. I'm speechless. September September 1959, on the anniversary of James Dean's death, a 15-year-old boy, he was a safe distance from the car, 15 feet away from the exhibit that had this vehicle. And and you can look up images of this exhibit. It It is pretty horrific because it is literally what a person had died in. And then surrounding the exhibit was images of Dean and him talking about driving fast, things like that. So... This boy was looking at this crushed car when I wasn't there, but according uh, according to lore, mysteriously, suddenly the the bolts, the wire bolts that held the car in place snapped again mysteriously, and the car rolled forward forward and ran over him <gasps> and. The boy's legs were crushed. He survived. His boy, the boy's legs were crushed. I've also read that his thigh was crushed. Oh. Or his, his hip. Sorry, his hip. So either his hip or his legs. In 1960, this is, now this is sort of the end of, of part of the curse, but the car was in Miami, Florida at an exhibit. And it was going back to George Barris in California. It was loaded into a boxcar on a train, apparently locked up, nice and secure. And when the train arrived in Los Angeles, the seal on the boxcar door was still intact, but the car was not inside. Little <gasps> bastard had gone missing. And and that is the case to this day, that there have been reports about what happened to the car, but it remains missing. There is one story that Barris himself may have made it go, go go missing, perhaps to collect insurance money. I don't mm. know. Barris died a few years ago. But there was one story that Barris had hidden it behind a fake wall. And I find that kind of cool that to, to just cool. remove it from sight. Like a magician. There, there was like an auto magician. Yep. There there was a museum a couple of years ago that offered a million dollars for anyone that could provide the vehicle that they would have bought it off them, which is a lot of money for this wrecked car, although it probably would go for more than a million dollars at this point. So it's gone missing. It remains missing. It remains a mystery. But let's get into some more of the reasons behind why maybe this happened to James Dean, the, the why behind it. 
And for this portion, so okay, it's it's called it's one of these notorious. This is definitely this is this is peak paranormal pop culture. This is this was a story that I've loved and definitely researched a long time ago and I love talking about it because it it is the intersection of paranormal and entertainment and that's literally mm-hmm. what I love talking about with paranormal pop pop culture. It's so this is known as a cursed car, the story of of little bastard's curse. But maybe there's more to it. And maybe it involves Myla Nurmi, aka Vampira. <gasps> so Vampira in the mid 50s was a horror host. We she was before we had Elvira, who I also mm-hmm. love, we had Vampira. Horror host and also very independent entertainer. She had her own brand. She was not playing by anyone else's rules. And she actually and she would mock the 50s housewife trope. She was not that. She had, you know, this sexualized, ghoulish appearance, long fingernails. So Vampira was friends with James Dean. And when they met, she was a star and he was not. He was still coming up. So that soon shifted. And it's iffy back and forth. She claims that they dated while she was still married. And there had been other stories saying, well, that wasn't the case. But she's on record. You can find YouTube videos, her talking about this, Hmm. of her saying they dated. Now, there was Hedda Hopper. I don't know if that name sounds familiar to you. It's 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 one of those names. Another like classic lore character out of Hollywood in 1950s. Hedda Hopper was a gossip columnist. The cla- if you think of like that classic gossip columnist uh, personality, you're thinking Hedda Hopper. Got it. Like in Hail Caesar. Did you see that? Movie? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, that type of thing. So she was also not a great person. She was all about the House Un-American. Uh, activities committee she would blacklist people and out people as mm-hmm. communists just like hail caesar and she yeah exactly and she was known for carrying a grudge she was i don't think a very pleasant person but she quoted dean so maybe he said this maybe he didn't she quoted dean as saying that he didn't date cartoons or that he didn't date witches and he even in her biography which was published after dean's death so he couldn't correct this quoted dean as as saying some pretty ugly things about vampira however (gasps) vampira talks about and she's on record talking about in videos talking about the day that james dean died and the impact that it had on her so she seems like she was pretty close to him so vampira was also in the 1950s mid 1950s was apparently fascinated by the occult and fascinated by the church of Satan, which involved Anton LaVey. And, you know, it could have just been sort of like a entertainment kind of fascination, not necessarily black magic and everything, but she was associated with the occult, whether or not she, she practiced it a lot. You know, you know how it goes. It's sort of like, look at Marilyn Manson. Maybe it's not, or Ozzy Osbourne. It's not, someone's not necessarily evil. They just, when when parents get alarmed, especially in the 50s, that was the rep that she mm-hmm. got, right? Well, it didn't help that in 1956, a year after James Dean's death, this tabloid magazine called Whisper called Vampira 
Dean's, James Dean's Black Madonna. And according to this tabloid, again, take this with a grain of salt, but they have these anonymous quotes saying that after an awkward interaction at a party between Dean and Vampira, something to the effect of Dean was now getting a little bit more famous. They they found each other at a party and he said something about their sexual past. And then she said something about, well, you weren't that great anyhow. <gasps> but apparently, but apparently it was an awkward interaction, according to this tabloid. And she loudly exclaimed to the room, James Dean is going to die soon. <gasps> so Vampira, this is after filming of East of Eden. So the timeline kind of works out. So Vampira, who, according to Whisper, was a necromancer and a witch, again, according to the tabloid, apparently she became obsessed with him and apparently created, allegedly, reportedly, created an altar to James Dean complete with effigies and a sign saying, quote, he must be born again. And in this this tabloid, you can look at their... Uh, it's I don't buy it, but yeah, it's the, the photo of the altar. So she was the Whisper article claimed that three days before James Dean's death, Dean was trying to reach Vampira. Myla, Myla Nermi. And and I, I say Vampira and Myla Nermi inter- interchangeably because Myla essentially was Vampira, like that she lived that character sort of like. You know, we associate Elvira and Pee Wee Herman, mm-hmm. you know, they are that character. Anyhow, three days before his death, Dean was trying to reach Vampire. And Dean was talking to a mutual friend and he offered some sort of ominous goodbye. Goodbye. And the friend was like, goodbye. What does that mean? Where are you going? And he said, quote, from Salinas to greatest to the grave. Just sounds very prophetic. This is all something- so crazy. It's not really something you just say that rolls off the the tongue, like, you know, not like, oh, I'm going to to a race and then it's going to be awesome. And I mean, maybe he meant this race is going to be so huge. And then I've got these two movies in the can and Mm -hmm. I'm on my way, baby. My like I've arrived. Maybe that's what he meant. Maybe. I mean, people did speak more eloquently than they do now. Maybe. But really. okay, one more time from Salinas, Salinas to greatest to the grave. I mean, that's ominous. That's that's like that's a fortune cookie level of ominous. Anyhow, so that's what he said to this mutual friend. Well, later that day, Vampira, this is on the 27th again, Vampira called that same mutual friend and said James Dean had reached her. Okay, And again, this is according to the Whisper tabloid. James Dean had reached her and he had asked her to light the candles at his funeral. Now. That again, that's creepy. But Vampira had this postcard of her sitting next to an open grave, and the inscription on the postcard was "Darling, come and join me." Now that could have been just a bit of uh, yeah. dark, dark humor, but she sent it to Dean reportedly. Mm. So maybe, maybe he was responding to that. Maybe that was a joke. Maybe she was sending him the postcard, "Darling, come and join me," and maybe he jokingly said. Haha, uh-huh, well, light the candles at my funeral. Could have been. But the yeah. way it was phrased is all very ominous. Yeah. So after his death, which the day that he was buried, now I can't verify this, 
but the day that he was buried, apparently her contract for her TV show was canceled. So after his death, she came to believe, again, according to the Whisper tabloid, came to believe that she was haunted by James Dean's ghost. And apparently it got so bad, she didn't want to stay in her house anymore and would only return to feed her cats. So, and and if you just listen to the interviews of her when she reflects on his the day he died, it's so weird because it's almost like this Hollywood who's who because she was hanging out with Anthony Perkins from the movie Psycho yeah. and ran into... Marlon Brando creeping outside of the house of Ursula Andress. Oh my God. Marlon Brando was sort of a rival to James Dean and Ursula mm-hmm. Andress was his love interest at the time. Dean's love interest at the time. But Vampira went to that house with Tony Perkins to share this news. It, it all just weird. Anyhow. So one must, must wonder this whole whisper tabloid thing is interesting to me because part of me thinks Vampira is maybe the, the source of the of the tabloid itself actors were known to do that and and maybe she thought it would help drum up publicity 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 what i say would help drive up publicity (laughs) for her flagging career maybe she thought it would be a publicity stunt who knows but but crazy and then you can't help but wonder about so either crazy or maybe it was, it did ruin her career. This this stuff did not do her any favors. So if it was mm-hmm. a publicity publicity stunt, it went wrong. Backfired. And and she was associated with the occult, and then there was a lot of stories of her being associated with with this curse. So the the question is, would she have put this curse on James Dean? And the thing about curses, we throw that word around a lot, and within paranormal worlds paranormal theories a curse isn't it's not just something associated with an object so if his car was cursed if little bastard was cursed according to paranormal theory someone would have to put it on it either generations of dean's family and he did suffer some tragedy i mean he saw one of his parents commit suicide i believe oh shit so either someone would have to put the curse on it. So if Vampire did that, that would indeed be a curse. Or maybe it was some sort of spell, or maybe it was a love spell. Maybe she loved him and was trying to get him back. Or there was one theory that she was actually trying to protect him from his self-destructive ways. James mm-hmm. Dean was also into the occult. And maybe... Which is not destructive in of itself, but he did have sort of a fatalistic perspective. Maybe she was trying to protect him from his own self-destructive ways. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Little Bastard is, it was just haunted. The tragedy, the trauma of that moment just created, I don't know. It's like this paranormal perfect yeah. storm. There's so much going on with this. Yeah, that's insane. You told that story super well. I had not heard any of that, so I was totally riveted. I I can't even believe it. Like I can't I feel like you're you probably hit the nail on the head with like his family could have been cursed because I don't know. I mean, of course, being the girl, like I feel very soft towards Vampira. Like I I my heart goes out to her. I don't 
like to think that she would have done something like that. I feel like it had to be further than that, but I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of my personal spin. I don't think so. I, I yeah, I, I mentioned her because she is an integral part of yeah, this story, but I, I don't, I don't think, I think that they must have had a pretty special relationship, yeah. maybe at times romantic or sexual in nature, maybe mm-hmm. other times friends that just sort of could make those kinds of jokes with one mm-hmm. another. If you take things out of context, totally. You, people say all the time, Oh, kill me now. Or, yeah. or, uh, yeah, but you, and, and the, these tabloids at the time, well, even now they would drum up this scandal. They would, but I, I do think if you go back and look at some of the videos, the interviews with her, I don't know. I, I think that she, lost a friend and it mm-hmm. and it impacted her but it does not remove the, i mean the freaking alleganis thing the psa that's filmed crazy. a couple weeks before his death yeah it that's the stuff that i just find yeah so bizarre yeah so yeah that's the that's the story of little bastard the curse of little bastard i do think that little bastard is out there somewhere and maybe one day we will find it although just to be safe, if you happen upon Little Bastard behind a false wall oh or on an exhibit, stay far away. I will not go close to that. Well done. That was good. Thank you. Well, before we wrap up, I know we've gone really long on this, but we can do that sometimes. Do you have any paranormal pop culture picks? I do. Um, so I actually finished season three of Ozark on Netflix. Oh my God, it's so good. I Ruth is like by far my favorite character on the show. But if people haven't watched it, watch the entire series because the man, Tom Pelfrey, who plays Ben, who is Wendy Bird's bipolar brother, is so beautifully acted. It like made me feel so emotional. Um it's just such a good show. And now after season three, I think I finally have understood what money laundering is. And I now suspect everyone of money laundering. <laughs> and you're going to open up your own money laundromat? Yep. You know it. What about you? What are you unwinding with? Well, I must say, as far as Ozark goes, it comes highly recommended, but I've not dipped into it yet. So that'll I'll, I'll, I'll move it to the top of the list. For me, I'm... I started watching this when it first came out and then I lost the thread a little bit. I'm catching up on the umbrella Academy mm. and it's a Netflix show. So the show is based on a graphic novel created by Gerald way, Jared way and Gabriel Ba. And of course, Jared way is the, co-founder of My Chemical Romance. Yes, which that's how I know the name. Wasn't really a, a band that I super got into, but I really did enjoy the graphic novels of Umbrella Academy. And the, the quick and dirty about it is that it's about this eccentric millionaire that adopts these seven children born on the same day. And oh. each of them he suspects to have various superpowers which they end up having or or gifts or abilities and then but really the story is about fast forward after the father dies all of these estranged children kind of come back into the fold and it's has supernatural elements it does have 
some superhero elements. One of the characters can talk to the dead, things of that nature. And, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's not for some, if you don't like the MCU movies, you could still enjoy this because it's quirky. It gets pretty dark. It's a character story. So there's a lot of really meaty characters. It's, it is comedic in a lot of ways. So anyhow, the new season is about to arrive on Netflix. So I decided to revisit it and, and round out those episodes and I'm really digging it. It's, it's been a great binging kind of show. And maybe when the second season drops, if it's also really good, I will follow up and recommend that as my paranormal pop culture pick. Sounds good. So we've hit the road. We went on a long journey. Now we're approaching the exit ramp. And I'm sure I could find some other metaphors and analogies to go with if you let me. Do you have one? Should Um, we pump the brakes? Let's pump the brakes on this. Let's uh, kill the lights. Kill the headlights. Turn off the engine. Refill the antifreeze. (laughs) Yes. Change your tires. Don't take car advice from Brett. (laughs) Please don't. Please don't. If you like Nightmerica, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash Nightmerica and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow on social media and share this with your friends. And if you'd like to share your paranormal stories or even seek paranormal advice, which is for entertainment purposes only, email nightmericashow at gmail.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 